Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Older and Bolder podcast. This is Krista Overly. I'm your host. In today's episode, I am speaking with Krista Ellers. And Krista is a retired IT specialist and web developer, a former foster parent, and now adoptive mom of two. She's an experienced trainer, speaker, and comedian with a passion to lighten the load of mothers with transparency and humor. Krista's comedy appears mostly on social media, from which she coined the term sit-down comedian. Her husband, children, and Labradoodle live with her in the Pacific Northwest in a state of mostly happy chaos. Read her own story shared in her book about the COVID-19 pandemic, days of isolation. And Krista, I think we should share with the listeners how we know each other. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So by happy coincidence, Krista and I share the same first name, the same Mm -hmm. spelling of our first name, and we are, is it second cousins? Is that how it's termed? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Well, our mom, our, our, yes. Exactly. I, I never follow yeah. that whole genealogy of first cousin, second cousin thing very well, but I think you figured it out. You're like, yes, we're second cousins. Yeah. Well, that's so, that's, I mean, that's what I've always been told. <laughs> well, I'm happy that we are related. And I thought it was a, uh, you know, we're recently chatting with each other over Instagram and I said, oh my gosh, I need to interview you for the podcast and so you can share your story with listeners. So you wrote this book, Days of Isolation, and the spelling of days, it's a fun play on words. And so let's start, let's start back a little bit. Let's back up and go a little bit pre-COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. I thought we'd start a little bit with... um, your life with your kids, because it seems like they're in your family. This is a book about your family and the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic and that period of time. I don't want to give too much away because I (laughs) want you to tell us about it. Well, I um, married a little later and ran into some, my husband and I ran into problems with infertility. Um, we got to the point of having treatments and we did have three miscarriages and just were never able to conceive naturally. Um, we were right at the cusp of doing IVF, which if you're have any exposure to infertility treatments, you know, is, is a huge step up in intensity of, of like physical effort shots, ultrasounds, everything and money. It can be, I want to, at the time it was like 15,000 per treatment cycle. And so it was just going to be really intense. And I was just making the appointments for all that. And I called my husband. I said, you know what? My heart is not in this. We had already talked uh, quite a bit about adoption, even before we got married, that we might be interested in adopting. And then when this all happened, we just made that choice to adopt. So both my children are adopted. Um, One is more what's called private adoption, which is sort of your traditional, um, I don't want to go into all the intricacies of adoption, but the point is one one was a private adoption, one was through foster care. And um, they're great. I mean, we, we love our kids. I, I tell people I have never wished I had different children. Um, I have frequently wished that I was the one who got to carry them and have sort of that, that depth of experience with them, but that just wasn't in our story. And so we've got these two kids. Um, they, we have this one thing I always joke that just between just in our family, um, we have 
ADHD, SPD, uh, ODD, PTSD, and I don't know, there's probably a few Ds I missed. Um, <laughs> there's just so much going on in our household. And um, it, it can be intense. There's often a lot of humor. I joke about my son that he he doesn't really get bored because if the things outside of him are not entertaining him enough, he just goes inside and there's a party in his head. I mean, he he's just always... Uh, thinking. I mean, he's always got something entertaining himself. And then my daughter is just what I refer to as a flitter. Um, her particular flavor of ADHD is she's just like a little butterfly moving from activity to activity and entertaining herself that way. And sometimes um, with all of us, all the people in our house, that can turn into pretty strong, passionate anger. And sometimes it's just belly laughs. So you don't really know what you're gonna get. But that was all true before this pandemic. And um, as a result of all these, you know, various diagnoses that we deal with, we have this huge team of people that are involved. <laughs> um, you know, we've got various coaches and therapists and all, all these people that kind of help keep our family afloat. And then one day, uh, I'll never, I won't forget it probably ever. There was a Wednesday night in March, we got a message from the school district that our schools were going to shut down for two weeks. And I'm not going to lie, I panicked. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And, um, just another cousin of mine actually pointed out, she's, uh, I wanna say almost a generation older than I am because all of her kids are grown and, and having children themselves. Mm -hmm. And she said, you should just keep a, like a diary um, about this and, and post it online. And I thought, well, sure, what the heck. So I started the very next day day one of isolation and it was going to be 14 days now i didn't personally believe it was going to be 14 days i'm like i don't i don't know they sent me home they sent the kids home with huge stacks of homework lessons it did not look like 14 days worth um you mean it looked like less or more it looked like a lot more you know okay. but but i was there was no way in my any imagination that I thought it was going to be 384 days before they went back to school. Mm, I, I have a feeling there'll be a number of people who understand what you're talking about. <laughs> right. So you have your family who's been used to having a lot of support throughout the school year from the day to day. How old were your kids when this started? They were um, eight and... 14. My son turned ages like two weeks, in, yeah. two weeks into the pandemic, but they were, they were second and eighth grade. Yeah. I know you'd mentioned it in the book at the very yeah. beginning. You talked about how old they were. I, uh, I remember when you started that writing that because we were all, I think we were all like in that moment of like, everybody's coming home. Yeah. And I know that you're in the, in an area of the Pacific Northwest that like shut things down pretty quickly and earlier than a, than a number of other cities, but other cities followed not too, too late, much later. Um, so you started writing that, oh, wait, let me back up for a second. So before your children, again, I mentioned in the bio, you had this background with IT and so forth. So were you already a home-based mom or were you yeah. still out in the work world? Yes. Yeah. It was kind of a, a slow progression for me into being full-time parent. Um, well, full-time home parent. I don't know. I never figure out. I, I was like the word homemaker because stay-at-home mom doesn't make sense to me. I'm I'm I don't I'm not at home very much. <laughs> but anyway, um, I was in the corporate environment IT for most of my career, 
when I got married, I actually transitioned to being at home, almost like I took a sabbatical for a couple of years. And then I went into freelance web design and I carried that I was able to continue to carry that on through one child. But when we added our second child, I just, I couldn't keep it all afloat. So then I transitioned to being um, 100% stay-at-home mom. And then kind of was that way until I became an author. All right. So now that we, so you already know what it's like being home, but having your children at school and having, you said you've got the support team for them, but now they're all coming home. They have the stacks of homework and you start the, you start the, the writing, the journaling, the diaries, the diary. What, what in writing that started to think about maybe creating this in, or what point did you, cause you've published a book now. Yeah. What, how did that involve? How did that show up? I would say that happened about three or four months in. Um, I mean, on a very practical level, the length of the experience was starting to be book length, if that makes sense. It's like, wow, this, and, and I think people in, in, in all, you know, you, anybody, everyone has been through this pandemic together. Mm-hmm. Um, it started to turn, it was a small event and now it's this huge thing that we've been through. Um, so that was part of it. Um, and part of it was just something that has kind of been percolating in me for a while. Um, parenting, I think, can be isolating inherently. Hmm. Um, because you, you get to this point where it, it literally takes so much of your energy that you can't keep up with some of the things that you would do socially Mm. and and then on very practical level you can't take children everywhere that you could take you could go before um now i think when you when you add into it any kind of special needs like if your kids have a trauma background or they've got like like adhd or some people on the autism spectrum when they start having those kind of issues, now you can take them even fewer places. Hmm. Um, You know, can you say a little more about what, like without being specific and attributing it, but like what, like a snapshot, because no, I I think we're more aware of it. Sorry. I can give you this great example. Okay, great. Um, Which it, it just, it's kind of breathtaking in some ways. Like, I took my kids, I took one of my kids to gymnastics um, as a way to kind of get that, uh, you know, one of the hallmarks of ADHD is, of course, the hyperactivity. That is literally because the part of our brains that, that regulate, that, that makes us move is physically overdeveloped in kids with ADHD. It is literally larger. <laughs> And so here's this kiddo that has an overdeveloped ability to move, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, I need to give them a place to, to let that out. So there was some interest in gymnastics and some ability. So I take the, my little guy, my little daughter to, in this case, they've both been through gymnastics, but this particular experience was from gymnastics. So a few weeks in, I get that, you know, we've all had this feeling. The coach says, can I talk to you for a minute? And you're like, oh no, you get that feeling in your tummy. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. You know, I wonder if there's a way for you to um, have your child uh, maybe do something before class to kind of get out the energy. And I'm like, what? Why do you think we're here, first of all? And second, I just need you to know that based on our schedule, uh, every time we come here, we have done a one-hour bike ride through this business park. 
So I'm not sure what else I can do, <laughs> you know, mm. but here's this, you know, and, and this is a situation where, you know, this is a, a gymnastics is kind of a bonding thing for moms, but now it's turned into kind of an isolating thing for me mm. because my particular child can't, you know, can't be regulated enough in that environment to stay. And mm. there are endless examples, but that's just, it's already a little bit isolating. And I just, you know, there's a, there's a tendency to feel like I'm the only one. Mm. I, I'm embarrassed now because, you know, you, you, I don't know, is it projecting to put that, you know, you, you feel for your child and you also, we do this and we probably shouldn't, but we tend to extrapolate onto the parent based on the child's behavior. Hmm. So the child gets some blame and, and some side long, you know, what do they call that? Side the, side, the judgment, the, the side eye. Yeah. The side eye mm-hmm. the child gets the side eye. The parent gets the side eye. And pretty soon you don't really feel like going to the park for play dates. Mm-hmm. So there's an aspect of that. And I just, I, I want to break out of that. Want to let people know they're not alone. And I did this, this happened just recently. I was at a park and this child was totally adorable. My kids would not participate in the photo that I wanted to take. I'm like, come over here so I can take a picture. And my kids wouldn't, but this other little boy was so adorable. He says, I will, you can take a picture of me. And he was so cute. So I did. And I asked him where his mom was and I went over and as a mom, again, you know, the feeling some other parent is making a beeline for you at the park and you're like, Oh no, what has my child done? And I tried to really, really fast let her know that was not why I was there. I said, I just want you to know your child just made my day. And I told her the whole story and she said, and it just turned out, this is exactly the moms I'm looking for. She said, yeah, my little boy, he has ADHD. And so He's always causing a ruckus at the playground. And I, I just got that feeling in my stomach when I saw you and I'm like, well, I wanted to, that's exactly why I came. I want to be the one so that you don't always have to be the mom that gets the bad news. Yeah. That's a sweet story. Oh my gosh. And I'm guessing because I, I didn't experience what you're experiencing, but from what you're saying, it sounds like to like some of these symptoms and aspects of ADHD can show up slightly differently child to child. Oh, heck yeah. Right. So, so you're, you have this awareness, you're, you feel, you notice this isolation and here you are home isolated. And now you're like, I'm going to write a diary. So you start the day one, we've been all sent home. You've got the stacks. And then it starts to go on. And you said it's a few months later, right? That you start to realize it's getting to be about book length. Um, and, you know, let me see, three, four months later, that was summer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So then we had the country in sort of like this sort of interesting place where some states were more or less open. And where you are, if I recall right, it took a while for for that area to kind of be more comfortable with slightly opening to things but you were able to be outside yes we could go outside um we were still supposed to wear masks oh boy yeah i mean we have all the way along been much more conservative Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so yeah other people were all always and still are a lot more relaxed. So yeah, we had a mask mandate. Our restaurants were still closed in the summer. Uh, we weren't, we, we'd had no, nothing for 4th of July, no 4th of July. 
right. fireworks, presentations, um, no large gatherings. Heck, I don't, I think the campgrounds might've even still been closed. Yeah. I don't recall, but because it was just, there was that sense of like, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> so as you're becoming aware, there's still this pretty, pretty, you know, not ex- well, let's just say it was still in a lockdown mode mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, but you're becoming aware as book length. Were you entertaining the idea? Like, in, have you written a book before this? No. This is my first. Well, it's kind of funny. Just like, just like everybody else, uh, my pre-existing plans were totally interrupted by COVID. Um, I ha- I was in the middle of writing a book at the time called Domestic Tradecraft, which is sort of a, a tongue-in-cheek parenting instruction manual, uh, almost like how not to do things. But um, I that was put on hold because this was sort of taking over my life. And um, again, very common. I feel like everyone experienced that in one form or another. So this ended up being my first book. Um, now I will, Domestic Tradecraft will turn into my second book. Yeah. So as you were, so as you were going through and you're thinking, it, so you were already working on the other, on the other one and this one kind of showed up and sort of like slid in front, if you yeah. will, cut in line. Um, and you're going along with it. And, but with your children having the challenges they have and you're starting to do this, how did you fit that in? Or did you like, what did that look like? Was it just get it where I can, or did you start to think about it more specifically? How did you make this journey to, yeah, I'm doing it? Yeah, well, I just, um, well, for one thing, it kept me being very committed. Uh, you'll, you'll hear this with a lot of writers, that it's important to write every day. And that worked really kind of conveniently with my existing format of writing day one of isolation. I mean, I just wrote something every day. Um, I think I was perhaps a little more committed than I would have been if I wasn't planning to go ahead and publish a book. And that in itself was sort of a, a, a vulnerability because how I had treated social media and other things is that if my life was going well, I posted. And if it wasn't, I didn't. So it kept me really honest to be real. Um, And that's important to me too. That's kind of like a core value. Um, I don't want people to look at my social media and think, well, they've got it all together. Because again, that's another way that we can isolate each other. So it's not that I tried to be dishonest on social media. I always tried to keep honest. It's just that uh, this took it to a new level. Because if you you have to post every day and your every day is not perfect and whose is, well, now you're going to be a lot more honest. You know, maybe, as I said, I wasn't dishonest before, but definitely a lot more complete. So how I'm hearing that a little bit, if I can share, is it sounds like you were less likely to edit yourself. Right. Right. It was was a lot more open. And maybe even going back to the, what you were saying a little earlier about wanting to not feel so isolated and you didn't want other people to feel that too. So maybe having that opening, allowing yourself, does that seem like what was maybe kind of going on in the background? if not consciously. Yeah. Now you said, you said to me before we started this call, um, in a slightly different conversation that there was, the writing was easy, but kind of like getting the pieces going together for it were a little more challenging about getting the book put together. So you, you had writing clearly in your background and you had the humor going on and so forth, but creating a book is its own set of skills and it's new. So can you talk a little bit about that process? Cause I imagine that, um, 
like yourself and like a number of people in the pandemic and still going on because we're still in the pandemic yeah. um is that we're it's it's sort of given us these openings and windows of oh my gosh you know i really do want to do this thing in my life and and yet there's these um, challenges we have with taking those actions and so one of the things i really loved about when you and i spoke and i'm like oh my gosh i've got to have you talk about this is is the steps that sometimes it takes to get there that aren't the easiest ones. Like maybe the writing part was hard, but it was familiar. Yeah. So maybe you could share a little bit about that experience of getting from the writing into writing a book or putting together a book. I appreciate that. Well, it's interesting. Yes. And actually I would even go so far as to say the writing part comes easily to me. Um, I enjoy it. And it, it's, it's just, it comes easily to me. I think that's important to recognize about yourself. There are some areas that you're, you know, your skill, you have talents and it feels good to work in those talents, but to get a book to, to market and to be a success, um, it just, it takes more than writing and more than I ever realized actually. So you go through a somewhat predictable process, you write, and then you edit. And I don't really mind editing too much because that's actually more writing, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, and then proofreading. That's still, I, I still actually am in good because that's just perfecting the writing, but then you get into, um, and I don't mind publishing. So there's an aspect of publishing that is sort of getting organized and putting together a a business. And that was all that came fairly easily. Then you get into marketing your book and there's this quote in the industry, I guess it was new to me, but it's fairly commonly known to other people (laughs) is a, the publishers publish books, authors sell books. And imagine my horror as this lovely introverted writer to realize I had to sell it, you know? (laughs) So that's the part where it started to become more difficult and even in in some days unpleasant. And it, it really was right about that time that I was getting to that stage in my writing that you posted about this concept called micro quitting. And it was so timely for me because, um, you know, I would rather die than quit. Well, that, that might be a little extreme, but I don't want to quit things. I'm, I'm good at persevering. Um, it's, I, I don't, I don't want to give up, but what that pointed out to me was something I had been doing, which was sort of temporarily giving up today. And the way I did it, I don't know how it works for other people, but I would just sort of hyper-focus on something else that I quote unquote had to do. I use the example of um, making dinner. I mean, I'm a stay-at-home mom. That is in my job description in the way that our family has divvied up responsibilities Mm -hmm. and I have to do it. So I couldn't possibly do this task for my book because I really need to um, make dinner and my dinner is going to be defined by homemade bread and homemade broth for my soup and, and probably fresh garden vegetables that, that I have, I've picked today and harvested for this dinner. You know, in reality, I could have made dinner by ordering pizza and dumping some lettuce out of a bag of salad. And that is still okay. But I I just, that was how I was micro quitting. I was avoiding what I didn't, what was unpleasant by just hyper-focusing on this other area. And first of all, so there was that realization that I Mm. got when I heard that term, it totally clicked with me. But what was so hopeful for me about reading that post, and if you have a term for this, you let me know, Okay. but it's like to solve the micro quitting problem, you can have like a micro win, if you will. 
Like you don't have to take, you don't have to totally about face and, and do this huge effort. If I just take one small step on that day, in that moment, when I'm tempted to micro quit, it can turn it around completely, yeah. you know, and, and it was, that was a big deal to me because to me, some of these efforts were so foreign to me and so difficult for me and my personality that if, if you had told me, well, you need to, let's say, let's take the topic of selling. Well, you need to make, you know, 10, you need to take 10 steps in selling today. That would just have been overwhelming. And I probably would have quit for real full quit, but, um, just taking one step, like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to solve this little problem I'm having. I'm going to learn how to do an Instagram reel, or I'm going to, I'm going to learn, I'm going to find a contact to do a book review, something that maybe only takes 10 minutes, but for me is kind of difficult. Then, then I would give myself the day off, you know, (laughs) just one little thing could really set the momentum back in the right way. I love how you describe that as a micro win. I hadn't used that term, but I, I'm going to steal it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think my term that I use for a lot of people like it's one step. It's like a baby step. It's just the next. What's the next easy thing you could do? Because sometimes that's accessible to people. It's yes. like not the hard thing. Some people will talk about do the hard thing first. I'm like, mm, that doesn't work for everybody. But sometimes we're like, look, my capacity today is I can do one thing for 10 minutes. So what's the 10 minute thing I have, like you described. And something in the way you were describing this, Krista, that I think is is really helpful to hear and um, and to just kind of repeat and then I'm going to ask you to kind of fill in a little bit, yeah. is that it didn't sound like it had to be fabulous and joyful and I love it. It was, I could do it. It was like, do you remember kind of how you sort of felt about those things? Was it like neutral? Was it like, um, I can do that. What did it feel like? Oh, yeah. Sometimes it felt like pulling my toenails out. I mean, there's just part of every effort that doesn't feel natural, Mm. that doesn't even feel like something you would like. Now I say that, and I, I mean, I don't want to be doom and gloom about it. The fact is it didn't feel that way, but I got better at it. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that it's like, oh, I love it now, but um, I definitely like I, I hate it less. And sometimes I even like it a little to do certain tasks because part of it is that once it's easier, yeah. once you do it, you get the hang of it and, and not only getting the hang of it, but adapting it to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I did a press release and it just felt really awkward and unnatural. And honestly, I don't think that's going to be a part of my future marketing efforts. Um, But there's other things that as I pushed on and discovered different ways to do marketing that I'm like, I am on, this is going to work for me. And I actually kind of like it and it gives me energy and I'm going to use that. And it still works. Yeah. And something you're describing in all of this is I I found this is not true for all adults, but I think what I've seen for many of us is we got very good and very comfortable when you were describing the whole making the soup and making the bread and getting the vegetables. It was so familiar and it was like mm-hmm. your skills you already had in doing that. Mm-hmm. And then we come to things and for a lot of people, it is around tech, I find. Um, technology changes fast and furious these days, if you will. And mm-hmm. learning something that we see people, we see a finished product of something somebody has done. You used Instagram Reels. For those of you out there who don't know what that is, that's a special video style used on Instagram. 
basically it's a special little mini movie that you can have all sorts of effects and it can look really intimidating if you've seen somebody's um very well done, very experiencedly created Instagram reel, and you think, I have no clue how to do that. And and it, it has its layers of complexity. But as Krista was describing, you know, it's sometimes it's just, okay, 10 minutes, what do I need to know? It's just kind of going like, if I start here, it's, it is a it's a, it's a capacity and ability to just kind of take yourself and slow down and just go, what do I just need to know today? What do I, where do I start? Start, what's the simplest way to start is sometimes um I don't know if you did this internally for yourself it sounds like that mm -hmm. I've, I've done I've used that I've talked about that with clients and for my own self too like I have to slow myself down and just go wait a minute there's a way to do this there's an easy place to start and that's all I'm going to think about right now because I think our brains throw up the it's too hard moment and I don't have to really do this and um we just kind of stop ourselves we might go quit before we even get started but yes and being more familiar you also brought that up like the learning how to do that and then getting more comfortable with it it's it's mm -hmm. like all these other parts of our lives that we've sometimes done things for a long time really well um and you said you start you started appreciating it I, did did a a sense of uh self-confidence or I don't that's not really a beautiful term <laughs> the sense of, of confidence come into play after you've been able to do that for a while like I can do this it's yeah yeah I would say so um I would say that not all of I mean I'm still in a process hmm. um not all of the things I'm learning have borne fruit yet so there's still that kind of tentative feeling, but, mm. um, but it's, you know, I can, you can, I can feel that it's, you know, we're going the right direction. There's a sense of traction. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And you also said something a little, a little prior to my reflection there was that you notice what you like that seems to fit for you. And you even said like, notice what you like, even before that, when you said the writing comes really easily. I think that's important to recognize for yourself too, because there's often, not always, but there's often sort of a menu of options that people get and sometimes in tasks around like what you're describing when you're talking about like selling and marketing the book, there's a number of ways to do that. Some of them are gonna be easier. Some of them are gonna be challenging, but often the, I think sometimes people it can it can help to say i really enjoy this one i can do these okay but i really and i found that sometimes being able to kind of go in that direction a little bit more can just be also really self-affirming yeah and i think i think that um when, when you when you can kind of inventory your strengths mm-hmm in, in any way, either uh, in a very explicit way, like a, like a, there's a not any number of quizzes and such. The Gallup Strengths Finder, which I use as a good one. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, it's more than a quiz. I mean, they're, they're, sure. They're tools that are respected. Um, but even if you just have a sense from living your life, but you can adapt you don't have to do everything the same way. Yeah. For example, some there's this thing in internet marketing right now where people are saying you don't have to just do a video where you're pointing at things. And I'm thinking, why would anyone think that? I, I mean, I looking through the reels, I'm thinking, okay, now that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. Okay, this I could do. I mean, when you, there's not just one way to do a thing. And so you do kind of have to push through until you see what is going to be a fit for me. So well said. Perfect. That's like a, I love it. Yes. What's going to be right for me? I think that's important. And 
a lot of people think, yeah, it has to look like, as you're describing the types, there's, I don't know how many types of reels there are, but one of them is people pointing at words as the reel goes on. It's not for everybody. Not everybody has to do it. I want to kind of go back a little bit to something we, we talked about at the very beginning that relates to your, when you said you wanted to help people feel less alone. And as we, as you, as you think about that, and then also, you know, we were here, we talked about the, the, the course of putting the book together, putting the book together and marketing the book and bringing the book to the market. What do you think that, and, and talking about what we've just said, that impact of writing that first book has had for you and then also what you think it might or what your hope is it has for people who will pick it up and read it okay so the impact of writing the book for me yeah um well definitely it's been a huge personal growth experience um like I said, getting into, um, I have always, I mean, I've done lots of different types of work, uh, training, retail, I, I, public speaking, um, IT helped us support technical and, you know, being a full-time mom, all kinds of different things. Um, but I really, really did not like to sell. And so I, I can't underscore enough the horror that I realized that was kind of now one of my main jobs, but now to not only sell, but to sell yourself and not in a, you know, dysfunctional way, but I am my product now. Hmm. And that is, wow. You know, trying to put together materials where you are, you know, writing a bio, um, writing a book synopsis of a book that is, is about yourself and your family. Um, in order to do all those things, you have to identify the, the main good qualities of your product and then talk them up and I'm the product, you know, so I have to identify my own good qualities and talk myself up. And that is just so awkward. I don't know if it's, um, if it's our generation uh, or the gender or both, but I just don't feel like women are brought up equipped to just, you know, talk up their good points Mm -hmm. and wow, it's, it's been a real journey of self-discovery to be able to just not just say it, but I mean, if you're going to sell something, you have to kind of put some energy into it, some passion into it. So not only to just say what your good qualities are and, and don't, don't come back and, you know, oh yes, I cooked this brownies, but you know, I got the recipe at it's, it's an old family recipe. I mean, you know, we have that tendency to kind of follow it up with something that kind of makes it a little smaller and more manageable. No, Mm. you need to come out there. If you're going to do a good job at selling, you need to state your state, your good qualities, state them clearly. Don't back down from it. Um, you know, put it forth and, and then just sit with it. Like that is not a comfortable place for, I like, I like to call that being bolder. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's, I think there's, you've, you've encapsulated an idea that's been floating around in my mind for a while for women, especially, mm-hmm. uh, around, yes, yeah, selling, you know, that idea of selling, promoting, it can be cultural. It could be generational. I think there's a lot that happens in there. Um, sometimes also being introverted can yeah. be part of it. Uh, but how amazing um, t- 
from from something I hear you saying, it's almost like you sort of surprised yourself with an unexpected gift by putting going through this. Yeah. And working through the product, the writing and the editing production. Yeah. Yeah. And you and let me just say, I've I read many of the posts that are in the book and I've started and I've been reading the book. And yes, you are very honest and uh, about everything from Diet Coke <laughs> to McDonald's to the gym and all the other things that have, have unfolded along the way. I appreciate that a lot. Um, you've inspired me. And if you were to have, I don't remember the name of this, of the stadium where you live, and that's not important, but if you were to think of that stadium and think of it being full and you were given the platform and they said, Krista, you have about a minute more or less to impart your one piece of wisdom you want everybody to hear. What would you say to that stadium? I would just, I would just want people, whatever they are doing to be tenacious. Mm. Um, I would say this is true for my writing project, but even, especially in my more important project right now, which is parenting, trying to create adults um, is just, boy, you have to just keep trying. And honestly, not always trying the same thing, try finding new things. And if that doesn't work, find another new thing. And if you're at the end of the rope, tie another knot on. I mean, you can pick so many different analogies and they work but it boils down to you just you have to keep pushing in order to succeed at things mm. and and even just hanging on on a on a purely really base level hanging on in your marriage hanging on in your life mm. i read this in the in our early marriage i mean that's almost another book you know, people say the first year is hard. Our first three years were hard. And, you know, we just, sometimes we were at our wits end for how to, you know, reasonable, fun, lovable people could meld a life together and not argue. And well, at least not argue as much as we did. I mean, you know, but but I read this thing. It was, it was kind of life-changing that it was came out of the Gottman Institute who researches couplehood. And he said that in his studies, no matter how horrible it was, uh, a marriage that had been through an affair or a death of a child, no matter what in five, if in five years later, if they just hung on, they were happier. Hmm. And I mean, I think part of it is, I mean, can you last five years doing the same thing unhappily? I mean, you, you almost, if you, if you commit to persevering, you kind of will, as our human nature, we will continue to try to do things differently because we can't stand to be where we're at yeah. for five whole years. But, um, but yeah, just to keep just keep swimming to quote a fish I know. I hear you. Yeah. And I've heard good things of the Gottman Institute. I will make sure I link that in the show notes. Um, and I, as I go back through, if there's anything else, I'm trying to remember if there's anything else that you referenced that I, I will need to link to. But included in those links is the link to your book and your social media. Since you have mentioned you are on social media, where would you like people to find you you have a website mm -hmm. how, how do they find you there well i mean they have to be able to spell oh okay. well know. you're going to tell them how to spell it <laughs> yes it's my name kristaellers.com but neither of my names are easy to spell so it's krista with a k k-r-i-s-t-a ellers e-h-l-e-r-s as in sam 
Um, so that's one place I'm, I'm most active right now on Instagram at really Krista, K-R-I-S-T-A dot com or not dot com, you know, it's, really it's, Krista. I think on Instagram, it's Instagram.com slash it'll say really Krista. really Krista. I will have the links in the show notes. Yes, to those. Um, I don't think our name is difficult to spell because we've had them <laughs> for a long time. Um, and then where can we find days of isolation? And that is also spelled a little differently. It's not D-A-Y-S, but what? Tell them about that. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that we all had the experience that one or two days just started to drag on and on. And then at some point in each of our isol our pandemic experience, it became a daze, D-A-Z-E. We were in a daze, our days blurred together. You know, it, that's why I named the book that. But so it is days, D-A-Z-E of isolation. And where do they find that? And that's on Amazon. Okay. Is it anywhere else, just Amazon? It's just on Amazon right okay. now. We might push out into other markets in the next year. That's on my to-do list. Well, it's a lovely book. It was so fun to see you pull that together after watching it through the pandemic, sharing about that. And I was just so, so surprised, actually. Maybe I wasn't aware of you talking about it before, but when you oh, were no. like, it's a book. And I was like, oh my gosh, she wrote a book. That's so great. And I'm just so happy to hear that you're working on number two, uh, book number two. So we'll keep our eyes open for that. This has been such a joy to get to talk to you, my, my cousin. Yes. And to help you spread the word and to share your experience and your message um, for those who would love and need support and maybe want to just see through a lens of some humor how, how a family who feels challenged at times I can also find the humor that's inspiring also. Thank you. Well, thanks so much. And thanks I for will... having me on your show. Thank you listeners for tuning in. Please go and check out Krista's book uh, on Amazon and her Instagram. And I will be talking to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you heard something helpful in today's episode, please leave a five-star rating and write a review telling me and other listeners what you loved about it. Also, you can click subscribe, share with a friend, and of course, have a bolder day.